Hello and welcome to the 34th episode of the Commander Quest podcast. If you do not know already, the Commander Quest is my goal in building all of these decks. I am building decks with all of the cards in Magic. That is roughly 20,000 cards. And if you are looking for a specific segment of this episode, there will be time blocks in the description or chapters if you are on YouTube. Alright, so... Let's get into it. So the first thing I want to say is I am reformatting the order of the episodes. Uh, This is going to, this might change more in the future, but I'm going to start with the deck tech because I'm 90% sure that's what most people are coming to my content for, is for this specific deck tech. So I'm going to start with that. So, today we have a Marecki Re- Marieki Re-Barret deck. Uh, Marieki Re-Barret is white, blue, black for 1-1. One, one, and it doesn't untap during your untap step. Tap. Gain control of target creature as long as you control Marieki Re-Barret. Uh, when Marieki Re-Barret leaves play or becomes untapped, destroy that creature. It can't be regenerated. So, this is basically a deck focused on abilities that happen as long as the thing stays tapped. We have 29 cards that do that, all with varying effects. So, I'm going to go over some of the central themes and how we can take advantage of them. So, of course, we have a large category, 29 cards of things that stay tapped. And they can choose whether whether or not to untap, and uh, you can have you can have an ability for as long as they stay tapped. The second category is tap and untap. This can be helpful for a lot of different things. It just lets us take advantage of a lot of of a lot of different things. The third category is is untapped. So a lot of old formatted cards will say. Uh, will only do an effect if it's untapped, and will benefit, quote-unquote, every player. But, uh, if we have the ability with our tap and untap things, to tap that during our opponent's turns and untap it during our turns, that can be incredibly powerful. Because it will only work on us. Uh, then there's another category, which is just other... Uh, there is a number of untapped category, which is just gives you benefits based on untapping. And there is a stacks category, which basically makes it so that people's untapping is limited, whereas you don't care as much about that. So let's get into defining this deck. So the idea of this deck is to have tons of cards that do things for as long as they stay tapped out while we have some sort of stacks effect. Our opponents cannot really untap very much, whereas we also cannot, but we do not care. We do not need to be untapping very much. So the idea is to have that and then just have tons of things that do things as long as they're tapped and ways to take advantage of them, make them slightly better by tapping and untapping. And then, of course, lots of other synergies that are close to that. 
So, let's just go with examples of the things in the categories. So, in Stay Tapped, there are generally two, two categories, two larger categories of what they will do. So, one is creatures and one is artifacts. Uh, they're almost always creatures are artifacts because those are, I'm pretty sure, the only things that can tap. Enchantments technically can tap, planeswalkers technically can tap, um, but other than that, oh, and lands, but there's not really very much of that. So yes, it is artifacts and creatures, and within those, there are a, lar a large number of them are removal, be it keeping an artifact tapped for as long as it's tapped, or, or a creature, or of an opponent's. Or if it's giving it negative net ne plus two negative two or something, or gaining control of it, or exiling it, or something like that. That is basically the most common category of it. Other than that, it can be basically anything. Uh, there's some pump. That's a pretty common thing. There is um, one of them gives hexproof. I think it's shroud actually. There's a lot of different things, but mostly it is removal. So, I'm just going to give some examples of these different categories. So, for removal on an artifact, we have Amber Prison, which is four for an artifact. You may choose not to untap Amber Prison during your untap step. That is on almost all of these, so it makes it much, much easier to take advantage of these abilities. Uh... And it has four tap, tar four tap, tap target artifact, creature, or land. As long as Amber Prison is tapped, that permanent doesn't untap during its controller's untap step. So, um, you get the idea. It's removal. It will stay tapped for as long as we want it to. Um, an example of a creature that gets rid of a, of a card that is removal uh, is Callous Oppressor. One blue blue for one two. You may choose not to untap Callous Oppressor during your untap step. When, as Callous Oppressor comes into play, an opponent chooses a creature type. Tap. Gain control of target creature that isn't the, of the chosen type, as long as Callous Oppressor remains tapped. It is not the best because your opponents can choose probably one creature type, but we get, well, it says an opponent, which usually is rotted to target opponent chooses a creature type. So we could just choose someone who we're not going to get rid of the thing from. But you get the idea. Um, it is just removal on a creature. Uh, an example of something other than uh, removal on an artifact would be endoskeleton. Two, for an artifact, you may choose not to untap endoskeleton during your untap step, and two, tap target creature gets plus zero, plus three, as long as endoskeleton remains tapped. So it's pump. That's a fairly common thing. Um, uh, an example of a thing that does something other than Sorry, an example of a creature that does something other than removal uh, for when it is tapped 
is Hazoka's Guard, which is one and a blue for a 1-1 creature human wizard. You may choose not to untap Hazoka's Guard during your untap step. One blue tap as long as Hazoka's Guard remains tapped. Target creature you control other than Hazoka's Guard can't be the target of spells or abilities. So it gives Shroud, which can be really useful for Mareki Rebarret. Uh, although it can be not great because you might want to target it to untap it, but it is important to have it and being able to hold it up as protection can be useful too. Tap and untap. So this category is cards that just will tap and untap my creatures. This can be useful for a lot of different reasons. For example, if we want to untap something at instant speed because we don't want the ability or whatever it might be. But the main use and the one that always works is for our commander. Mariaki Rebarret will gain control of it until it's untapped, and when it is untapped, she will destroy it. So if we just keep on using her ability and then untapping her over and over and over again, we can kill a creature for every single untap. That is incredibly, incredibly powerful. So, yes, we can do that, and yes, we can take advantage of the stay tapped things, and yes, we can keep the things that say is untapped tapped down during our opponent's turns. But mainly we are going to be using it on Mariaki Rebarret. There's a little, couple different categories. Most of them fall into uh, you pay mana to tap it and you can tap or untap target permanent. That's most of them. Uh, one example of that would be Captain of the Mists, which is two and a blue for two, three. Whenever another human enters the battlefield under your control, untap Captain of the Mists. One blue tap, you may tap or untap target permanent. Uh, a couple other categories include a free untap. Um, so Fate Stitcher, for example, would be three and a blue for a one, two. Tap, you may tap or untap another target permanent. And it has Unearth Blue, return this card from your graveyard into play, it gains haste, remove it from the game at the end of turn, or if it would leave play. Unearth only as a sorcery. Uh, another category would be uh, pay a mana cost, untap it, you can do it as many times as you would like within, well, within a turn or whenever, basically. One example of this would be Freed from the Real, which is two and a blue for an enchantment aura, enchant creature. Blue, tap enchanted creature. Blue, untap enchanted creature. And finally, we have instants or sorceries that will let me tap or untap in various ways. For example, energy arc. One in a blue for an instant. Untap any number of target creatures. Those creatures neither deal nor receive combat damage this turn. Or, those creatures neither deal nor receive damage in combat this turn. Or I think actually the way I said it would probably be more modern phrasing, so I guess it would be eroded to that. I'm not completely sure how the, how exactly that should be phrased, but you get the idea. Uh, other, we have Illusionist Brazers. We only have one card here. Uh, two for an artifact equipment. Whenever an ability of equipped creature is activated, if it isn't a mana ability, copy that ability. You may choose new targets for the copy. So, there's a lot of different reasons this is good. The main one is if we have something that will trigger as long as it's tapped, we can tap it 
get that ability, leave it tapped, and then unequip Illusionist Racers and use it on something else. So we can just switch it around every single time we want to use an ability, and for three mana we will have double the ability. That is incredibly good. The second one is with Mariaki. Uh, just having something in the zone that we can use is amazing. The third one is with tap and untap. Uh, we can probably go infinite with this fairly easy. And we can, plus we can, well, you know, I'm just going to give you an example of how we can go infinite. Uh, let's say we have, oh, I got it, Fate Stitcher. Uh, three and a blue, uh, one, two, tap, you may tap or untap another target permanent. Freed from the real. Two and a blue for an enchantment aura. Enchant creature. Blue, tap enchanted creature. Blue, untap enchanted creature. So if we equip Freed from the real and Illusionist Bracers to Fate Stitcher, we can play blue. We can tap Fate Stitcher to untap two islands. Then we can use one of them to untap Fate Stitcher. We have a blue floating. We can tap it again and get infinite blue mana. There's a lot of different ways we can go infinite, but that's just one I came up with in two seconds. So, yes, this can help us go infinite. Yes, this can help us have great synergy and just make our deck go much, much smoother. Alright, uh, next category is Is Untapped. So the idea of this category is generally these cards either have a positive effect or a negative effect on every single player's turn with one exception but we'll get to that in a second so for example uh howling mine is two for an artifact at the beginning of each player's draw step if howling mine is untapped that player draws an additional card now this might seem bad especially on this deck because we don't have really any group hug but what we can do is during our turn because it will untap before the draw step, we will draw the card. And then during our turn or before our next opponent's turn, we can tap down howl Howling Mind with our tap and untap effect. That way, our opponents will not draw cards, only us. This can be incredibly powerful. So that's the idea. Uh, there's a lot of different variations. Uh, so that would be a benefit one. Uh, Sphinx Sovereign is the exception I was talking about. Sphinx Sovereign is four white, blue, blue, black, and it is a 6-6 six, six artifact creature Sphinx. At, end, at the end of your turn, you gain three life if Sphinx Sovereign is untapped. Otherwise, each opponent loses three life. So we can basically have more cho choice. Usually you can attack with it, or and it will deal the three damage, uh, but... You can now, because you can untap it, you can attack with it, untap it, and then get the three life. Personally, I think it's usually better to have each opponent lose three life, but that can depend. And the last one that I'm going to cover, just to cover the categories, is Storage Matrix. Three for an artifact, as long as Storage Matrix is untapped, each player chooses an artifact, creature, or land during his or her untap step. That player can untap only permanents of the chosen type this turn. So there's a lot of different reasons this is good. One is because we can tap it before our before we have to choose. The second wait, 
Can we? Yes. I think we can. Uh, so we don't actually have to choose. The second is, even if we can't do that, um, what we can do is we can make it... Well, we don't really care about our artifacts or creatures untapping because they stay tapped anyways. We probably don't want to untap them in the first place. So this is sort of in the stacks category also. So either it doesn't affect us at all or we don't care if it affects us at all. So that is incredibly good. All right, so next category is benefits on untapped. I said I called it number of untapped earlier, but benefits of untapped is much, much more accurate. So first we have, well, we only have four cards, so we'll just read them all off. First we have Dragon Scale General. Three and a white for a creature human warrior. At the beginning of your end step, bolster X, where X is the number of tapped creatures you control. And it is a 2-3. So the idea of this is we're going to have a ton of tapped creatures and just being able to choose a creature with the least toughness among creatures you control and put X plus one plus one counters on it can help us win. The idea is we can just keep on building up counters and at some point we untap everything and kill our opponents. Usually it will not give our opponents more blockers uh, if we untap everything. So that is really good. Next up is Masako the Humorless. It is two and a white for two one. You may play Masako the Humorless anytime you could play an instant. Tapped creatures you control may block as though they were untapped. Boom. You now have so many more blockers. Uh, this is good because this is a very slow deck that just likes to control, and having blockers can be incredibly powerful, especially because almost all of our creatures will be untapped. Uh, next up is Mesmeric Orb. Two for an artifact. Whenever a permanent becomes untapped, that permanent's controller puts the top card of his or her library into his or her graveyard. Now, this one is quite strange. You may think, why am I running this? There's so many things to stop people from untapping. But the idea is we don't care as much about untapping. So in a niche scenario, this can be our win con. Is it the best win con? No. Uh, but will it do the trick? Yes. Um, again, this is really niche and it's a little bit hard to pull off, but we do need more win cons here. Uh, next up is Throne of the God Ferora. Uh, Throne of the God Ferora is two for a legendary artifact. At the beginning of your end step, each opponent loses life equal to the number of tapped creatures you control. Boom. There we go. Uh, that can be another win con. Um, and finally, we have stacks. So these are cards that stop people from untapping. And they just give us a huge advantage because we don't care very much about that. So, for example, Damping Field is two and a white for an enchantment. Players may not untap more than one artifact during each of their own untap steps. Not the most impactful, but for us it's not going to matter at all. Uh, Dream Tides is two blue blue for an enchantment. Creatures do not untap during their controller's untap phase. Each non-green creature's controller may pay an additional two during his or her upkeep to untap that creature. So having to pay two for each upkeep is incredibly 
for each creature is incredibly taxing. Plus, if you have a green creature, you're just completely screwed. Uh, Emi statue is three for an artifact. Players can't untap more than one artifact during their untap steps. Stasis, one in a blue for an enchantment. Each player skips his or her untap step, untap phase. During your upkeep, pay blue or bury stasis. Uh, static orb, three for an artifact. If static orb is untapped, players can't untap more than two permanents during their untap steps. So you get the idea. It will stop people from untapping. So, again, the idea of this deck is to take advantage of my creatures being tapped, use my tap and untap abilities to take advantage of it, and just take advantage of this really niche, old, cool abilities. This is a really old, unique deck. I don't think there are very many other decks similar to this. So, I really like this idea. Um, but keep in mind, if you are going to build this deck, I built this deck with a very specific thing in mind. When building these decks, they are designed not to be neck decked. There are no staples in here. I'm not sure if you noticed or not, but there are not. What you are supposed to do is figure out what you want to cut, which I will help you with, I'm about to say, and you are supposed to replace them with pet cards, staples, whatever you can afford. Plus you want to uh, tweak the mana base because it's pretty bad. I will be leaving a link in the description to this deck, but keep in mind, this is not a final finished deck. I built this in a way that it's not really going to work to net deck this. I want you to vary this. I want you to cut cards from tap and untap the tap and untapped category, the stay tapped category, there's some that are really janky, and the maybe probably the is untapped category. Uh well, probably only Sphinx Sovereign, maybe well, no, I mean you can cut more from there. But point is you can cut from those categories there's a lot of cards that just kind of are iffy and replace them with what you want to play maybe you have a super friends deck in your meta so you want to play a uh what's it called oh man it's black black and it's dot and it destroys all planeswalkers and you put loyalty counters on planeswalkers point is Maybe you want to do that. Maybe you want to add staples. Things like that, you're going to add them in, replace them. You're going to change up this deck if you want to build it. So, uh, that is this deck, but it is not the end of the episode. So, it is time to get into analyzing a card. So, this week, I'm sort of analyzing a card but sort of also analyzing 10 cards. So this week I'm teaching you how to analyze card, a card. This week I'm talking about things that have us draw cards equal to the power of a creature we control. So the idea is any card that says that, I will be teaching you how to analyze. So there are a lot of different categories. Uh, I have... I put I split it into three categories. One off no sack, so maybe like sorceries that will just draw draws cards equal to the power of target creature you control. Just about that. Uh, there's also a planeswalker that has negative. 
Uh, there's a, and there's Prime Speaker Zagana, which has it as an Enter the Battlefield ability. Um, there's one off Sack, which has us, is similar. It's a, it's a sorcery or an instant, and we can sacrifice our creature and then draw cards equal to the power. And there is other, which I'm not going to get into, but you should be able to think about how to analyze it uh, with the information I'm giving you. You know what? If I'm fast enough, I might get into other. So, first of all, you're going to look at whichever card you want to analyze. For our example, we are going to use Soul's Majesty. But you should be able to, I should be able to tell you, I should tell you how to vary this for each, uh, for whatever card you want to analyze. So, real quick, I'm going to read off the cards that have this type of ability. But I'm not going to read what they do, just their names. Guruk, Primal Hunter, Prime Speaker, Zagana, Return of the Wild Speaker, Vishkar's Expertise, Soul's Majesty, Life's Egg Legacy, Momentous Fall, Greater Good, Graven Predator, Captain, and Nissa's Revelation. If you want to look at those cards for your deck, that is fine. So, Soul's Majesty is 4 and a green for a sorcery. Draw cards equal to the power of target creature you control. So, step one. You are going to think how much does this have to get me for it to be worth it? How many cards do I have to draw? Now, you can come up with multiple answers, but it is best to come up with one and then vary the turn, rather than come up with multiple, stick with the same turn, and vary what you are willing to do. But either way works. So, step one, pick that number. Once you have that number, I want you to go in your deck, and I want you to map out which, uh, how many creatures at each CMC you have that are that power or higher. Got it? So, map out at each CMC how many creatures you have that are that CMC or higher. Now... There is a lot of different things you can change depending on how much risk you are willing to take, but I will get into that soon. So, now what you're going to do is you're going to think about when you're going to cast this. For example, if we say, okay, I am going to cast this on turn 5 because it's a CMC 5 sorcery. So, what we're going to do is we're going to take all the cards with CMC 4 or less, because keep in mind, we can't cast CMC 5 creatures on the same turn as we're casting the sorcery, um, that have that power greater than that. So we're going to open a hypergeometric distribution calculator that will be in the description. Population size, I want you to put 99. That is a constant. Uh, that is the deck size. You're right. It's not, sorry. It's not constant because you could have partners, but that's not really the point. The number of successes in population is going to be the number of cards with the power greater, greater than or equal to the point where you're satisfied uh, at the CMC lower than uh, the turn that you want to cast the spell on. So we are just going to say 4 because seems reasonable for the guidelines I set in place. Uh, the sample size is going to be uh, 7 plus the, the turn before, sorry, 7 
plus the turn you're going to cast it minus one. So I guess it would just be six plus the turn you're going to cast it. So for this, we're saying 11, uh, the number of successes in sample. That is the number of, oh, I'm sorry. That is going to be one because that's the number of cards you have to get that fit those guidelines. So if we calculate that, it ends up pretty bad. We have a 38% chance. That is pretty constant. If you cast generally these cards at the earliest possible point, it's not going to be great. So how can we change this? There are a couple ways we can change this. One is we can change what power we are satisfied with. If we bring that lower, it will open up more cards that will fit within our guidelines and make it more likely for us to draw. The second one is we can change what turn we think we're going to cast uh, our spell. So if we say, okay, not going to turn this on, cast this on turn five, I'm going to cast this on turn six. That means that first of all, we get another card in our sample size. And it means we get more successes in population. We now have cards that are CMC5 also below our guideline of how many cards we want to draw. So we can now add, let's say there's now, let's say there's now eight cards. Boom. Now we have a 65% chance of meeting that guideline just from that one extra turn. Keep in mind, I'm not using an actual deck. I am just saying just using this as a guideline. So, yes, uh, it, it can work. It, it is, it, if I were to guess, this should take you 15 minutes. So, it's not going to be too difficult. So, keep in mind, um, it really does depend on a lot of things. If you want to add one, uh, if you want to add one card drawn, if you have a significant amount of card draw, that is fine. If you want to add, uh, if you want to remove one mana or a specific turn of mana or alter the mana patterns in any way because of the ramp in your deck, that is also fine. Just keep in mind that you have to have a reasonable probability of it happening. My threshold for, okay, I'm almost definitely going to get this uh, each game uh, within the early game is 13 cards. So number of successes in population 13, we're talking about, I'm talking about like turn three or earlier. We have a 77% chance of getting something we have 13 card, 13 versions of uh, by turn three. That is incredibly high. So if you have more than that, or that, then you can almost guarantee you'll have it. So, for example, if you have 13 two-drop ramp cards, then you can get rid of the two CMC slot, and you can uh, speed everything up by a turn. There's a lot of different ways you can alter this data to make it more accurate, but just make sure you're not stretching the data too much, because there comes a point where it becomes less accurate. So, Again, just to go over it again, pick your point. Pick what, how many cards do I have to draw for this to be worth it. Second, count the number of card creatures you have at each CMC that fit that guideline. Third, 
map it out on the hypergeometric calculator. Population size, 99. Sample size, 6 plus whatever turn you're casting the spell on. Number of successes in sample, 1. Number of successes in population is going to be the number of cards that fit your guideline. The CMC below whatever the spell it is you're casting, uh, the cards that are CMC below whatever the spell you're casting is, and the cards, th sorry, they fit that guideline, and they have high enough power for it to be worth it in your mind. So that is great. That is how you are going to figure out if it is worth it in your deck to run these cards. Uh, I actually probably should have run some experiments on this to see if it generally is or generally isn't, but I, I didn't, so I guess it's too late. Thank you for... Thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe if you enjoyed. For more, like or rate uh, my podcast, depending on which platform you are on. Comment or write a review, again, depending on which platform you are on. Hit the notification bell if you are on YouTube, and share it with your friends. Uh, in order to contact me, there's a lot of different ways to do it. Um, mainly, you can do it through email, uh, which is griffindoe at gmail.com, link in the description, of course. Uh, or through my Discord server, link in the description. You can PM me, or you can just at me in the server. Um, you can also, if you really want, you can comment. I will probably respond, but that's a really weird way of, do of contacting me. Also, that only works on YouTube. Not sure why you would do that, but if you really want to, uh, you can send me a voice message, uh, which there will be, again, a link in the description, and I can include this message in my podcast. Uh, I'm sure that I will, if it is a good question, I will probably add a listener question segment if I get a reasonable amount of questions. Next, uh, deck links will be included for whatever decks, if I even talked about a deck this episode, I almost definitely did, uh, they will be included in the description. Uh, you can look at other decks I've built for the Commander Quest on my Commander Quest Architect, link in the description, or at Commander Quest. You can look at decks I've built for other reasons on my personal architect, jank underscore garbage. I did change my name, so old links might not be relevant, m might not work anymore, but it should, it should still work with the one in the description. Uh, you can view this podcast on either YouTube or most podcast platforms, whichever you prefer. Uh, if you want to find my podcast on another platform, you can go to my website, link in the description, and there will be links within that. And for the last time, there are links to all of those things I just talked about within the description and a hypergeometric distribution calculator, which is a way that I can help calculate uh, for card of the week. Thank you for listening, and I will see you next.